well, welcome to the Purple Stuff Podcast. Starring Jay from the Sexy Armpit and Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. Jay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Really? This is a change of pace. I want to know, what is the scariest nightmare you can remember having? Oh, that's a piece of cake. You want me to roll with this? Is it a piece of beefcake? <laughs> oh man! Oh, that nobody saw that oh, coming. Oh, I didn't even I, see that one coming. <laughs> what the scariest nightmare? Is that what you said? So yeah, the <laughs> getting back. <laughs> the question was, what is the scariest nightmare you can remember having? Okay, the one that sticks out in my head was from when I was a real young kid, and it was after I first saw the thriller video. Okay, you know when he wolfs out. And Michael becomes the Teen Wolf, basically. Oh, yeah, with the big, like, sort of, like, Chuck E. Cheese head kind of thing going. <laughs> yeah, he had, like, the varsity jacket on, mm. and he became, like, a teenage werewolf. Are you all right? Get away! <laughs> I had this nightmare that he lived up in my closet on the shelf, and he would look down at me with these yellow eyes. Oh, shit. Yeah, and it was really scary to me, so I wouldn't go in my closet. That's pretty frightening. How about you? Mine. Oh, um, do you remember uh, Ted Knight, Too Close from Comfort? Monroe, stay away from my daughter, Monroe. <laughs> that's that's the one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I was dreaming about him, but he was like, I guess, the principal of my elementary school, and he came over and he was like telling my parents all these horrible things I'd done, and I was in so much trouble. And that's not the point of the dream. The point is that while he was doing that, I was hiding downstairs because I was so afraid of him. And my entire downstairs of my house turned into this like roller coaster slash haunted house. Oh my God. So I'm like on this little cart and I'm being dragged through this roller coaster of darkness by these skeletons. <laughs> what? Yeah. And that's all I really remember. But do you need much more? I mean, that's fucking frightening. I could actually see kind of being frightened by ted knight he had a very commanding voice he was very intense he was intense but i loved him i did too but those eyes of ice man Whew, that's a crazy dream mm -hmm. and the reason i asked you this uh of course is to set up tonight's episode yes which is which is a nightmare on elm street special <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> official title still pending. We didn't really have much of a choice because with Friday the 13th being so awesome. Yeah, so we posted the Friday the 13th podcast last week and immediately got these comments that said, basically, great show, now do Nightmare on Elm Street. The thing was, they came in two minutes after we posted it, so I don't know how they listened to the supposedly <laughs> great show. I'm like, okay, what did, you, like, did you listen to it on 10 times speed? What the fuck? There's so many fans of Nightmare on Elm Street out there that I may even wager to say that they eclipse the fans of Jason and Friday the 13th. I think that's probably true. I mean, look, I am more of a Friday the 13th guy, but I believe the Elm Street franchise is certainly more impressive. Nightmare on Elm Street is just incredible in terms of not only the effects, but as we're going to discuss tonight, there is a lot of cool moments and, of course, a big showdown, too. Freddy was everywhere. And as you're going to see tonight, I don't have a follow-up to that. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to talk about all things Nightmare on Elm Street, memories, anecdotes, moments, all kinds of cool stuff. Yep. And I believe it's my turn to go first. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I I don't want to, but I'm just trying to be fair. Actually, you lost the bet last time, so I can go first if you want. Uh, Yes, I would prefer that, actually. (laughs) Okay, here we go. On delay! (laughs) On delay, on delay! (laughs) (laughs) Number one. You must be dreaming. Nightmare 3 scared up $25 million in its first two weeks in release. The total grosses, <laughs> so to speak, are now over $40 million. My first pick for our Nightmare on Elm Street show is a video that I found floating around on YouTube. And that was the Media Home Entertainment Retail promo. Oh my God, if there's ever a time for a heavenly hum, this was the greatest thing I think I've ever seen. Oh, 100%. Basically what this was, was a video that got sent out to like video stores and retail stores that sold videos and laser discs and stuff. This was the Dream Warriors video. That was specifically what they were offering. And they wanted to shatter like all records. Right. It it winds up being, I'm going to go so far as to say, the best Nightmare on Elm Street piece of video that no one ever talks about. Totally. It absolutely is. It's exactly what it would be like if Freddy cut a wrestling promo, you know? So, yes! <laughs> so yes, he's basically doing Stone Cold. The video opens up, and it's basically this crazy voiceover guy who I'm, I'm so envious of because he's like, it's a media phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. And the voiceover guy is basically painting Freddy as a cult hero. <laughs> Yes. And he's even, he's a cult hero, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> he's like totally Michael Buffering him. Yeah. So as the video flies into a barrage of braggadocio, one of the, <laughs> one of the high points is when Freddy goes on Joan Rivers. Oh, oh. Uh, I'm the worst. Don't leave home without it. Like, nobody in the world was more popular than this child-killing character at the time. He was sort of like an edgy Pee Wee Herman. 
he, he it's exactly how he became. They were on top of the world. They were literally raking in the dough hand over Freddy glove. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> if, if I can remember what they were saying in the video, basically part one sold, say, 120,000 units. Part two sold 180,000. And they wanted to get like 200,000 plus for this one. So, yeah, Freddie had to turn up the heat, so to speak. <laughs> if you close your eyes and listen to this video, it's literally like a WCW promo. You yeah, know? <laughs> he's like he's basically doing like a pro wrestler slash Billy Mays. It's, it's insane. Take it from Kruger. I'm going to give people a nightmare they'll never forget. All of America is obsessed with getting their hands on Freddy. Well, just make sure you've got plenty of Freddy on hand. <laughs> you appreciate this of all people, because he starts promoting the actual light boxes and posters. He's like, yes. how about this poster for this light box in your store? And Order 50 Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 <laughs> videos and you'll get a giant cardboard standee. <laughs> like oh god like I, I, this is the kind of stuff that goes for a fortune on ebay now there was more production that went into this video than like any other freddy video ever yeah, you know? this was uh this they really they really wanted to sell those tapes i know and then towards the end of the video they showed the be in my nightmare sweepstakes which is like the winner gets to be on screen with freddy krueger in part four and like did that actually happen like, i was if wondering the same thing if somebody's listening to us and they were the person that was in the via my nightmares sweepstakes, yeah, like, maybe they were one of the pizza heads. <laughs> yeah, maybe they just got painted the same color as the wall in the background. <laughs> Don't move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Consider this was a video made for store owners only, like the layman's like us. We didn't get to see this until thirty years later. How are those tapes presented? Do they come in a custom box? Because if they did, uh -oh. I would pay $17,000 for that tape. I want that box. I want the tape in the original box. <laughs> Frig the tape. I just want the box. Just give me the box. Just give me the box. <laughs> Scared me to cover. <laughs> Yeah, Freddie had just that zest in this video that you'll never see anywhere else. He hams it up more than you could ever imagine. And I definitely suggest checking this video out to see Freddy Krueger at the top of his game. Excellent pick. <laughs> just amazing, amazing video. If nothing else from this podcast spurs people to Google, this is the one. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. And for your own good, just make sure you don't... Uh... <laughs> Number two. <laughs> I don't believe in you. I believe in you. <laughs> of all the uh, major horror movie franchises, I think I'd have to call the kill scenes in Elm Street the most creative. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if I had to pick just the one that went above and beyond all others, it would be the roach scene from part four. Oh, yeah, that one. We have this girl, Debbie, who's kind of like this gym rat who takes no shit. That's a good uh, description, but also keep in mind that she was on just the 10 of us. Was she? 
Yes. Oh my God, she was. Why is everybody on Just the Ten of Us? I guess because there were so many of them. Who knew that there were this many ties to Elm Street in one sitcom that lasted for like three episodes? If you were a female actress in 1988, then you were probably on Just the Ten of Us. Yeah, so good trivia. So, yeah. uh, Debbie. You would think like that her death scene would have something to do with fitness or whatever. And it kind of does because in the start of it, she's just like lifting weights and whatever. And then it happens. She starts actually transforming into a cockroach. <laughs> she is, yeah. The legs just break out of her arms as if her body is a shell for a cockroach. It's so gross. Yeah, it's so disgusting. And then at the end, you realize that she's trapped in a roach motel and she's actually just the size of a regular cockroach. You can check in, but you can't check out. And then Freddy crosses her, and it's just so disgusting. <laughs> it is gross, man. I'm not a bug guy. Like, I've never seen The Fly. Yeah, that's a tough one if you're uh, really uh, averse to this sort of thing. Though I'd have to say that the effects that I'm talking about here, very similar in some ways to The Fly. Yeah, I think it was definitely inspired there's so many things in that installment that were inspired by other horror films. Right. But the thing is, if you watch Dream Master in full, it's almost like they started with the idea for this random cockroach nightmare and then built the entire rest of the movie around it. <laughs> How do you figure? To me, there was nothing in that film that was as lavished with attention as that kill. It was pretty epic. Yeah. It's like you, the whole movie looks like a volcano and the very tip is this kill scene. <laughs> And the exploding lava is just the Debbie cockroach goo. <laughs> the, the Wendy Lubbock goo. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What would be like your kill scene? Overall, uh, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Philip's death in part three. Oh, yeah. That was definitely the best one from that movie. I do kind of get grossed out with the veins where he's like a puppet. Right. The whole thing to me was the most creative, I think, one of the most creative deaths. Number three. All right, so this one is all about what I like to call markout moments of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Markout moments. Say you're in the movie theater and something happens that just makes you crazy. You're hooting like Arsenio Hall, your favorite oh, late night man. show host. I was hoping we'd talk about yeah. him again. <laughs> Stay with that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I kind of just want to gloss over some of them, and then hopefully you could shout out some of your own. All right. Uh, at the end of the original film, when you see the uh, kids pull up in the red convertible, yeah. when the convertible top flips up and it's got Freddy's sweater pattern on That's, top of it, yeah. it seemed like the perfect sunny morning. Yeah, but it seemed a little too perfect. Yes, exactly. Like shiny and fairy-like, and yes. you, know, like you knew some shit was about to go down. Yeah, exactly. And it did, and it was very satisfying. Hey, hey I'm not doing it. Hey, I'm not doing what's it. What's going on with the window? 
As you move on and you get toward Freddy's dead, one thing that I popped huge for, I remember really sitting in the theater just going nuts for this. They did the little nod to those uh, This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercials oh, in the right. 80s. Mm-hmm. And it's actually Johnny Depp doing the, the cooking of the egg. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Question. Yeah! What are you on? <laughs> and my last one is real quick. It's, it has nothing to do with Nightmare on Elm Street because it's actually from Friday the 13th, Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, yes. And at the end, when Jason's mask is in the dirt and you start to see the wind blow off of it and out of nowhere... Freddy's glove comes up out of the dirt and sucks it down into the underworld. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is not my favorite movie in that franchise at all. But holy shit, is that a great moment. If you saw it for the first time, you really didn't know that was going to happen. Well, even if, like, you kind of expected something to happen, you would never expect that to happen. Right. Crossovers didn't happen a lot, you know, and this was something that you never thought you'd see. But as a kid, I remember losing my mind because uh, one of my friends told me about it. He saw it before me and he basically spoiled it. And when I found out about it, I I can't even describe to you how enthralled I was when I heard that Freddy's glove came out. You tried to lead the rewind chant in the theater. (laughs) Yeah. But it was mostly because we used to speculate what would have happened if they faced each other. But like you said, also, these things didn't happen really that often, if at all, back then. Right, right. So what what about you? What do you have any specific uh, moments that made you pop big time? The only ones that really come to mind from the Elm Street series is how all the Dream Warriors found out their dream powers. Oh, yeah. Like little Will turning from a tiny kid in a wheelchair to the seven-foot wizard master. That <laughs> yeah. still gets my motor running. <laughs> I'm the wizard master. I am the wizard master. Number four. So it's already on record, but my favorite Elm Street movie is Part 3, Dream Warriors. I can understand if somebody thinks that the first movie is objectively better, but Dream Warriors is just so much fun. So good. Ever since watching a TV edit during WPX's Shocktober Marathon, Shocktober, Shocktober. New York's movie station, (laughs) I have been obsessed with the actual Dream Warriors team. Like, it wasn't yeah. even so much the, the Freddy parts, those were great, but I just love those kids. I grew up wanting friends like them, and I will never forgive Freddy for killing my favorites of them. They were sort of like the Harlem Globetrotters of the horror genre. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
Sorry. No. I, it's all good. My favorite Dream Warriors were Taryn and Will. Mm -hmm. And fast forward 20 years, I got a chance to meet them both at Monster Mania. You did. I did. And I think I told you like bits and pieces of this story. I heard little bits. Yep. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can't tell the audience <laughs> all of those little bits. But <laughs> I'll just uh, say for now that me and one of my old friends, we ended up partying with them at the bar all night. Yeah. And the reason that was easy to do is because we paid for all of the drinks. <laughs> I don't want to name names, but there were four of them there. And even Andale Andale was there. I'll name her. Andale! Yeah, yeah. So we were all just drinking all night long, kamikaze shots just constantly. Ugh. I didn't look at what I was putting on my credit card, but I had a $600 fucking bill. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it was so worth it because they were so nice and they so genuinely liked the company of strangers who wanted to know them. And buy them... And buy them drinks, right? Sh and buy shots, them drinks. Like, uh, you know, you want me to say uh, some lines from my movie? <laughs> Get another round over here. Did they start to really buy into it and ask for shots of hypnosil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then they winked at the waiter and said, no, Cristal. <laughs> Give him the check. So I'm not going to call it one of the greatest nights of my life. It wasn't, but it was certainly the greatest horror-related night of my life. I think you may have undersold this because you were at a bar with basically the whole cast of one of the movies of our youth that was so influential. Yep. Almost everyone listening has seen this movie, okay? Everyone knows Dream Warriors. Hell yeah. And you were drinking with the Dream Warriors. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't all of them, but it was plenty of them. It's, and, it's still badass. Yeah, because my friend who went with me to the convention was like, no, dude, forget buying autographs. you got to buy them drinks. Yes. Because yes. that's, you know, I guess that's like the trick. That's how you get more out of the experience. Yeah. He was right. <laughs> the only thing is that they may have thought that you were trying to get them to fall asleep so you could invade their dreams. If you were watching from the corner of the bar, it would definitely seem like I was up to no good. I mean... <laughs> Some of these people are rather small. If you've ever noticed that about actors, they're actually very small people. Yes, they're so, always smaller in person. Yeah, they're, they're very small and, and tidy. And when you're feeding them 10 pounds of kamikaze shots. <laughs> 10 gallons. Yeah, 10 gallons, <laughs> yeah. excuse me. Yeah. But man, it was a great, great night. And I'm, it was just so nice because they all completely lived up to what you would want them to be like. That's it's mind-blowing. I think it's so cool. And... I don't think many people will be able to have that same exact story. <laughs> no, it's all mine. I want it just for me. In my dreams, I'm beautiful. And bad. Number five. Next up is a fan film, Matt. A fan film, eh? This is Freddy vs. Ghostbusters from 2004. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. It was a thing. And a lot of people I know are into fantasy sports. But with horror, there's a lot of fantasy filmmaking. Yeah. Occasionally, the deepest desires can come true by making a fan film. You know, if you really want to see certain characters get together in a film, you have to make it. Yeah, it, just it grab some Halloween made. costumes, an old Panasonic, yeah. get your YouTube account in order, and you are a <laughs> filmmaker. 
<laughs> yeah. So <laughs> these are like low budget, low to no budget movies that are made basically on the fuel of the passion of the filmmaker. Right. So could definitely relate to so it. So that's like code for don't expect, don't expect much, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, I'm, I'm not, not. I actually haven't seen yeah. Freddy vs. Ghostbusters, so I'm not disparaging it. No, I know. I'm, I'm dialing it up a little bit. But yeah, nine times out of ten, you're not going to get uh, a super high budget, beautiful right. well, looking Well, I think film. what they're doing in a lot of these films is not so much selling you in the execution because I think they expect you to recognize that they have $50 and they work full-time <laughs> jobs. But yes. they're trying to convey the ideas that are in their head. Yeah. So it's like you kind of like have to judge on a curve. Right. You have to just kind of roll with it and suspend your disbelief a little bit. But I feel that showing some love to the fan films is a great way to see something that you'd never think would happen. And in this instance, you've seen Friday the 13th and Halloween fan movies. Some of them are like Ghostface versus Jason and Michael Myers versus Freddy and things like that. You get the, a chance to see some cool stuff. In this case, Freddy versus Ghostbusters, both properties were really big in the 80s and have huge fan bases, obviously. We both love the properties. But uh, regardless of the low budget, it was fun to see Freddy versus the Ghostbusters because it was something that many of us probably have pondered in our minds through the right. year. And, and besides, like, I, I still haven't seen this one, but I know because I remember when it was a thing, this got a lot of attention and I think it people did. did appreciate what went into it. Yeah. It was, and, and, it was a thing for a minute there. These guys, I think it's called Braxton Films. They just went for it and they play their own original Ghostbusters characters that they came up with. One of them is actually Egon's nephew. And um, the two biggest aspects of this film are how surprisingly well they pulled off Freddy. Uh, because Freddie in the film, they actually did it really well. The makeup looked good. The actor who played him was really yeah, good. I mean, they knew where their yeah. bread was buttered. He's in the title, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Top filling. Yeah. And the other really cool thing about it is the way they did Slimer. And if they had any budget whatsoever, it went into Slimer because it was done almost like in the original movie. Oh, so, cool. I actually didn't know Slimer appeared. Yeah, he appears really quick. But that was probably one of the highlights of the whole thing. He looked really, really good. And... I would say, I guess the finale, the, the uh, post credit scene, the real big moment involves the Ghostbusters running into Jason Voorhees. Oh, is that, that happens too? Yeah, it happens in the post credit scene. Oh, man. So, I mean, they, they, just, they really, they, they put everything every, on the table. They hit everything, yeah. If you're listening and you were ever wondering what it would be like if the Ghostbusters had to catch Freddy Krueger, then you could check out that fan film. It's on YouTube. Run, Neil, run! <laughs> Number six. What do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> I'd like to talk about something I call the gentrification of Freddy Krueger. I gotta be honest with you. Like, as good as my vocabulary is, I need you to explain that one. <laughs> so, no, basically, I think to be gentrified in the uh, the more slangy term, it just means that you're kind of like making something more appealing to a mass audience or yeah. to a certain audience. Right. What I'm talking about with Freddy is how he slowly evolved from like a genre slasher to an all out pop sensation. Yeah, almost like a Sesame Street character. Yeah, <laughs> those Freddy uh, versus Ghostbusters guys need to get on that one. Freddy versus Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah. I mean, like, he'd always been a bit funny, but by the later part of the 80s, he was as known for 
the one-liners is the kill scenes. Oh my god, he totally was, yeah. And I think the proof was in the products because out of nowhere, there were Freddy Krueger dolls, posters, yo-yos, mm. video games, and all of them were pretty much directly targeted at kids. Yeah, you're right. It, it, and that's what I was kind of saying earlier. Like, it was a surreal time to see that, you know, we had this killer with knives for fingers where he was like a he was a hero. He was all over the place. Yeah, like how that like take this for instance, there was that doll, that talking Freddy doll from Matchbox. Yes. And it was the exact same talking doll like you would have got for Ed Grimley or for PB Herman. Yeah, it was I, sold the same way. It was sold in the same stores. It was just you know, pull the string and Freddie would talk to you. When my nephew came over one time, he spent the night and he couldn't sleep because the Matchbox talking Freddie was so close to the couch. He said, "Uncle Jay, can you turn this uh, Freddie around because it's scaring me?" <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't sleep because the talking Freddie was staring down at him. Well, I mean, it really was. It had piercing eyes. Yeah, it was like I, I love look. that. Uh, so do I. I still have yeah. one. Yeah, Unfortunately, at this point, all mine says is... <laughs> it doesn't talk right. I no, know. no. It's like you try to hold the string back to try to make it go in its original cadence, and there's just no way to fucking do it. Yeah. I, the reason I brought that up is because parents started pushing back on that doll. Matchbox actually stopped producing it because mm. of the complaints. Yeah. I mean... And then it came out in other, like, in other ways later, like 20 years later. Right, it did. But the point is that while we thought it was all in good fun... Others thought like, wow, these, these kids are gobbling up products based on a guy who murdered children and who maybe was a pedophile. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I don't think I can pretend that I don't understand why some people might have been iffy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when we were growing up, uh, Freddie and Jason, like it was a no brainer. Nobody, you and I and, and our friends weren't sitting there like, why are they popular? Like we got it. We knew why. But like I said in the Friday 13th episode, I was sort of a late bloomer with this stuff. So I wasn't, like, immersed in it the way that maybe you were. But yeah. things like that, like, Freddy Toys and Toys R Us, that was, like, how I came to start embracing this shit. Yeah, but, like, even if you weren't super into the films, you knew that they were cool. So right, and I it, thought they know. were, like, safe for me because, hell, if they're selling me toys with this guy's face on them, why can't I watch his movies? Yeah, they must be okay to buy. You yeah, know? it was, like, the Joe Camel principle. Yes, you know, one thing, Matt, as you're bringing that up, ironically, the one officially licensed item that I always wanted for years and years and it just never came out was like a basic average run of the mill Freddy Krueger action figure in the style of like those Kenner Star Wars figures. It did come out until years later with the reaction figure. Right, right. It did. That was actually like one of the big draws in the early reaction line. Yeah, because you would think like, well, why didn't we get a Freddy Krueger figure like that? You know, because there was figures of everything else at the time. It's so weird because I'm actually playing with one as we, as we record and like fiddling with. I'm, I'm not kidding either. I'm like fiddling yeah. with the claws, <laughs> yeah. which are so thin. I can't believe they haven't broke. <laughs> I, I know, like those things are a little fragile, but it's still cool to have because, you know, well, all some... reaction figures. I mean, half the time you'll like look at the rack of reaction figures and the heads are off in the package. <laughs> No, the blister pack on the cardboard always comes off. Yeah. But I think what's cool about it is that, you know, I, it seems to me that some of these companies might have had like a prototype for something like that and just never went with it because they were probably apprehensive about exactly what you were saying. They were like, well, you know, we're a family company and we sell to children, so we don't want to have this murderer. <laughs> you know? oh, that, that's the beauty of 2017 is that like half yes. the toys in the fucking toy store are like... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they're totally yeah. for like 80 year olds. Like, there's yeah. no mistaking it. 
that's what they're doing. They're actually going back and making all the stuff that we didn't get when we were kids, and we're gobbling up. Half, <laughs> Half the shit NECA sells comes with a free cigarette. It's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, you forgot the power glove! Number seven. Hailing from Elm Street, the man with the killer right hand, the Springwood Slasher, Freddy Krueger. So I'm going to get into this next one with you, Matt. It is a really cool promotional event that happened to advertise Freddy versus Jason. And that was the weigh-in for the Jason fight in Las Vegas. That was a huge, 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 huge thing. So cool and novel that they did this. Like I said, it was basically a promotional press conference in disguise as a real-life weigh-in. Right. Because, you know, anytime you have these big major, whether they're boxing or UFC fights, you get these guys to show up at like a press conference. And pretend they really hate each other for that moment. They acted like this was one of the biggest boxing or UFC events of all time, but it was really obviously in the world of horror movies. And it wasn't just a couple of guys that were dressed up as Freddie and Jason. It was actually Ken Kersinger and Robert England. Yup. And they actually got Michael Buffer. They yes, got Michael he like sold the fucking shit out of this. Yeah, they got Michael Buffer to do the intros, and they did it just like a big fight, like a big Vegas fight. And Freddie came out, and Jason came out, and they had their hoods on and everything. You're slow. You're stupid. And you're all washed up. Freddy Krueger, 174 and three quarter pounds. Freddy Krueger. Uh, it's funny because I weigh so much more than Freddy. I, I didn't like that weight either. I'm like, what are you talking about? 170? He's got Jason. a fucking metal glove on. That means he's only like 166. They introduced Jason. I'm like, ah, that's more like yeah. it. Oh, uh, at 275 pounds. Oh, thank God, I don't weigh more than Jason. <laughs> Anyway, they're shooting insults at each other like it was Clubber Lang and a a mute Rocky because Jason didn't say anything. So he did the no-so gimmick like he was on Arsenio. Yeah, and it totally worked because, like, they had the full Jason makeup, not just the mask, but, like, the droopy eye and everything. Like, the hair in the back. Yeah, unfortunately, when he, like, raised his arms up, you'd kind of see that he was wearing, like, I think red boxers underneath (laughs) <laughs> was he really yeah, he was at the end he kind of gives like a victorious pose I'm like oh dude you watch those that. arms down watch that very closely yeah <laughs> maybe a little too closely <laughs> they actually did the vegas odds and it was interesting because jason was the favorite in the he fight he was the favorite by a slight margin but he was the favorite yeah to uh to wrap things up i really enjoyed freddie versus jason and i i don't give a crap because i i liked it uh, oh but... i love that movie it was 10 years before that they talked about it and it came out finally and it was everything you wanted, but it has a 40% rotten tomato score, which is pretty low. So you a lot can't of people go by those. I mean, ugh. a lot of people don't like it. Well, I mean, a lot of people don't like everything. Yeah, that's true. For those who aren't sold on Freddy versus Jason, they may not be aware that Scott Farkas from a Christmas story is in it. Scott Farkas. Yeah. And Ray Mysterio actually played Freddy's stunt double in a scene. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. I love that movie. I think that's a it's a great kind of representation of both franchises, especially as a retrospective. Yeah, it brings them together really well. And the other interesting thing about that movie, in the context of those two film franchises, 
it fits right in so well that it felt like no time passed. That's something I wanted to bring up in relation to the weigh-in. Because yeah. the importance of the weigh-in, at that point in both franchises, there was a few years worth of dead weight. Yeah. So that weigh-in kind of like hit the reset button and reminded you that they were big-time pop culture players. And this right. was going to be a movie that was like a, a trip back to when they meant a lot more. And it was. It was. It was right. like it totally like went back in time to like the peak of Freddy and pretty much the peak of Jason. I don't need no stinking distinct advantage. If mama's boy here, he's big, he's dumb, he's slow, he's stupid, and he ain't got no style. By the way, I love that the weigh-in had actual sponsors. Like, Freddy's calling Jason a numb nuts or whatever, and there's a Quiznos sign behind Quiznos, him. the bad guy yeah. saw that. Like, holy shit, this is legit. Dude, the whole time, I'm just like, man, I could really go for something <laughs> yeah, right too. now. It's like, usually, you're looking at Freddy, you don't think of food, but this time. Pfft. Yeah. I'm like, I, I see Freddy, and he's talking and being interesting and funny, but I also but like, see like He's almost like Quiznos. getting quieter as your eyes focus on that Quiznos logo <laughs> right behind his head. Yeah. Like mm, toasted. I've never actually had Quiznos. I wonder if there's a Quiznos around here. Is it like Real Subway? Shit. Is it like a Blimpy, maybe? <laughs> Ooh, Blimpy. Mm, blimpy. <laughs> oh. uh, I, I am 275 pounds. <laughs> Senior Freddy, what do you anticipate will be your most difficult challenge in fighting Jason? <laughs> Waiting to see if this goalie here can find a ring. Number eight. Be seen in your dream. When I want you in my arms, when I want you, and all your charms, whenever I want you, all I have to do is dream. Dream, dream, dream. Oh. When I feel blue in the night, and I need you to hold me tight. Whenever I want you, all I have to do is dream. Okay, look, I know we have talked about this on the show before, but there's no way I could do a whole episode about Elm Street and not mention Freddy's greatest hits. <laughs> the biggest musical triumph since Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> Lord knows. Lord knows what people expected from Freddy's greatest hits when it hit record stores back in 87. I knew I knew it was going to come up. And it has to come up. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a couple of things that we're leaving out because we have talked about Freddy on the show before. But come yeah. on. Freddy's greatest hits. Yeah, I mean, if anybody is going to talk about this and sort of pay a tribute, it's you. Because you've been the biggest proponent and fan and fanatic of this album. The fact that this horror movie icon cut a record yes. <laughs> with with this no-name band of oh, artists. Oh, they, they had a name. They had a name. It was the Elm Street Group. I know. Elm Street Group, is. it's a very catchy name. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they were just some, like like you said, no-name studio. studio singers. Yeah, But yeah. Uh, under that banner, they really rose to the occasion. These were not just, like, novelty songs. This wasn't a Drew's Famous album. These were legit pop songs. Yeah. And like Robert England did some vocals as Freddie, 
But all he really did was like just scream or just say, yeah, in the background. Like these are real songs. Yeah. Although it should be said that some of them are cover songs and some of them are uh, originals. And I think the originals are really what makes the album special. Think about it. If some indie band said they were going to do an Elm Street concept album in 2017 and came out with that exact album, people would be falling over themselves to praise it. Yeah. Like the only reason this isn't a bigger deal is because people look at that 1980s cover of Freddie smiling and just think that it is just going to be garbage. Just, you know, a laugh. Yeah. No, no, it's good. Get with the program. It is high art. This is sort of like you compare this with the Crypt Keepers uh, Christmas album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. All right. They're not on the same no, level. But no, still, no, 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 no. You would compare this with like. Uh, Pearl Jam's 10. The Eagles' greatest hits. The Eagles' greatest hits. (laughs) Yeah. As you opened the podcast earlier, Matt, you were asking me about my nightmares of my childhood. And mm-hmm. this really, this entry really relates to what you were saying. Uh, and, and some of the nightmares that I used to have, maybe not necessarily like actual nightmares that kept me from sleeping, but just scenes that I saw in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise that used to sort of just pop into my head and freak me out randomly. Uh, So this is like all about the nightmare fuel of my childhood. Mm. I never really was super scared of the Friday the 13th films, even though I love them so much. I watched those sort of for like a different vibe. I used to watch Nightmare on Elm Street to get scared. Yeah, I could probably guess the vibe you were looking for when you watched Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) Oh, Judy Aronson. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... A lot of times for me, it's not necessarily something that's like outrageous or has to do with necessarily like the kills, uh, more of like the atmosphere and like these unnerving moments. Right, because that are... that's the shit that stays with you. At, yeah. In the moment, a kill scene is scary, but you don't kind of take it with you when you leave. Right, right. But these little things, though, they just creep up on you when you're just sitting in your bedroom playing with Legos and you're like, oh, yeah. fucking <laughs> <laughs> Part one, the first installment, when Freddy's arms start to elongate in the uh, alleyway. You uh, love you start, that scene. That scene, man, I till this day, it still creeps me out. I think it was just so cool. It uh, was, you know, and the fact that the effect didn't quite work perfectly makes yeah. it even more effective. It depends on who you talk to. Some people think that's the goofiest scene in the world. I, When you're a six-year-old watching this or, you know, five, whenever, holy shit, that's scary. No. <laughs> so in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, this is literally one of the most impactful scenes on me, like in all of movies. Is it the guy dancing with the penile push pop? 
<laughs> no, but you see Robert England in the beginning of the film driving the school bus. And, oh. you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize that Robert England is Freddy. It's an unsuspecting hot sunny day on the bus. And it's the opening credits. So you don't think anything major is going to happen, you know. So this school bus is riding along, dropping people off at home. And then, bam, a lightning storm. It gets completely dark. And then they're driving off the road into a desert. And oh. everything looks like post-apocalyptic, right? Yep. The bus is teetering on two giant piles of rocks. <laughs> main character sitting in the back of the bus but then you got these two girls like cute high school girls the one girl when i was a kid i had a crush on allison barron she also you would, appeared... of course know the name of the one scene girl from the back <laughs> of the bus the opening of this movie she was also a night of the demons and gidget summer reunion which i used to watch all the time when i was a kid naturally i want to hear some of yours now that i blathered on Okay, so uh, one of mine actually is just the whole lore surrounding Amanda Kruger, especially in uh, part five, oh, I think. Man. Yeah. Yeah, like she's a nun. She gets locked in an asylum and impregnated by a hundred maniacs, even by Elm Street standards. That's... I think, is it a hundred or a thousand? I don't, I mean, it doesn't, I think once you get past 10, well, you know, is it... It's, it doesn't really matter. Is it a jillion? No, it's not. It's definitely not a jillion, but I, it's at least a hundred and possibly a thousand. Let's leave it at that. I think it's a thousand maniacs. Okay, a thousand maniacs. Are you sure or, not? Or maybe maybe 10, it's ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the night. It be calls the night. Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. Number 10. All right, this next one is kind of weird. It doesn't really have that much to do with Freddy, but I've been wanting to bring it up, and this is as good a spot as any. Yeah. Let's talk about Fright Flicks trading cards made by Tops in 1988. Yeah, I know you've been really itching to bring oh, those up. Every single show. When we did that Christmas songs episode, I'm like, can I do it now? <laughs> <laughs> so you had this uh, set of trading cards based on all sort of horror movies from A Nightmare on Elm Street to Fright Night, Ghostbusters, Predator. And yeah. this set, it pulled no punches. This was tops in the 1980s. Like, you remember um, Garbage Pell Kids, Dinosaur Attacks, all that shit. Of course. This company could get away with a lot of gore. These were the kind of photos that you would otherwise only see in, like, Fangoria. Mm. And they tried to, like, neutralize the gore by adding these super cheesy captions. Oh, I love the one-liners. Yeah, and they're so, like, they're so oh, bad, they're but they're so, so good. good. They're so good. Like, there's one of Freddy kind of, like, lifting his shirt and showing off his burnt skin. <laughs> yeah, and I the caption is, hey, who stole my undershirt? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the <laughs> There's one where there's, like, all fire around him. I think it might have been from Freddy's Ranch. I don't know. But it says, darn it, I forgot the marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, you kind of, like, after a while, you're, you're thumbing through your pile of cars, and you just sit back in your chair, and you're like, wow, somebody got paid to write this shit. Yeah. They hired, like, a stand-up comedian to just make some jokes about just photos from horror movies. <laughs> yeah, it's like Fright Flicks presented by Richard Lewis. <laughs> while he's drinking a, a boku, boku. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, i mean uh, the best boku one... and some quiznos <laughs> the, 
The best Sprite Flicks card, though, is the, the library ghost from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Give Grandma a great big sloppy kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and the thing is, like, on, on that card and the cards that I mentioned, it's one thing. But then you have cards where you're seeing, you mentioned the kill with the veins in the arms from Dream yeah. Warriors. Yeah. They have a card showing that in all its gory glory. And it's I like, know. you know, you can't make a joke when you're seeing veins coming out of somebody's forearm. I know, and they really used Phil's veins, and they were never the same again. He really gave himself to this part. <laughs> Maybe that's why he wasn't at the table at Monster Mania. <laughs> Conspicuous by his absence. <laughs> uh, so, like, here's the thing with this set. I am betting that it is what got so many kids into horror in the first place. You would see packs of Fright Flicks when you went to the bagel store. So you, what you're saying is they're a gateway drug. Totally. I mean, it's like yeah. even, you know, you you know, you remember what it was like when you were a kid. If you saw a trading card pack, you would buy it even if you weren't crazy into what it was about. Like, I didn't, yeah. did I really need 18 packs of Harry and the Hendersons trading cards? No. <laughs> I mean, I liked the movie well enough, but it was, I mean, come on. I know exactly what you mean, because I used to always buy the pro set music stars oh, or God, something that's it oh it's like there was no reason why i needed them but i needed them you yeah, know i think for, i mean maybe for you it was different because you're you're a special case but i think for most people you kind of just flip through those cards and be like i don't know him i don't know her i don't know her, <laughs> yeah. don't know her. oh look it's uh mc hammer <laughs> it's uh people bryson and yeah. uh you know <laughs> but this fright flick set man it is so worth tracking down it is like just such a library of 80s horror and it just totally captures the kind of rock vibe the genre had back then yeah that was the thing back then if it was something cool then it got its own card series and you know i don't think we're ever going to be in a time like that again where trading cards are so relevant yeah it's like you go to target and you see they have the big rack but you're like they almost intentionally put it in a part of the store that you'd never want to walk over to it's like they're basically <laughs> saying you know what we know you're not going to spend your money on this so we're not going to give this a good space in the store yeah, you already checked out, and you walk by, and like, ah, oh, damn. And you, <laughs> you yeah. never even Yeah, remember. it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you putting all the good chips and all the trading cards after the fucking register? <laughs> yeah, it seems to me they would have it right before you check out. Yeah, weird. <laughs> you can check in, but you can't check out. Number 11. In terms of my picks for this evening, this one is going to be probably the most whacked out. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is the uh, Kato-chan, Ken-chan, Gokijen TV series, which I don't know if I said that right, but that is the best I can get. Yeah, I'm so, with you. I just yeah. I don't know anything about anything, but that is how it reads, and it is oh, amazing. <laughs> so it's an episode that has Robert England as Freddy Krueger on their show. And the only thing that comes to my mind is WTF because yeah. it is that batshit it, crazy. It's it's like a Japanese remake of Three's Company, but starring Freddy Krueger. Like, what the fuck? That is exactly the best way to describe it. It's basically like a situation comedy and Freddy's dancing and playing around and being an actual like he's almost like a real life cartoon character. Yeah, but it's him. It's actually yeah, it, him. It's actually him in full Freddy getup. And it supposedly like I did a lot of research on it and no one had definitive 
information, but it's supposedly from 1987 where he was promoting Dream Warriors in Japan. Yeah. So it's two guys and a girl and they run into Freddy, but they're using like the real Nightmare on Elm Street music. And uh, there's scenes where like Freddy gets his glove stuck in a wall and they're using all these sight gags. Very slapstick. Yeah, total slapstick. Like he's stalking them and walks right past them, like not even seeing them. Yes. And then they're like tossing him grapefruits to catch on his gloves blades. Yeah, they were throwing produce at each other. It almost had like the vibe of a really bad 1970s variety show, only it was Japanese and it starred Freddy Krueger. It was ridiculous. (laughs) They even had music in the background that sounded like a promo for Hollywood Squares. It was crazy. Was. Yeah, and Freddy winds up in his boxers about to, like, take advantage of the poor girl that's on the show. Right, but when he has his boxers on, he has Robert England's white legs. He's, yes. like, not even all burnt up. <laughs> I know. It's funny if, if it was a licensed sort of appearance, and I guess it was, because how else would they get the makeup so good? Yeah. You would never do that here. <laughs> I know, yeah, because you, like you would want to protect the brand, you so to speak. The character. Yeah, you yeah. can't make him go too goofy. The greatest part is, like, they're outside at the end for oh some my reason. God, this scene. And he's, like, on the front lawn, and Freddy raises his hand in the air, and his glove gets struck by lightning, and he starts to, like, pulsate, and then he melts. Yes! And the close-up of his melty face was, like, super gross. There's it all, like, slime so dripping. disgusting. It, it is, is so more gross. gross than any of Freddy's deaths <laughs> in any of the movies. It is, like, the, um, the, the scene, the mass scene from Halloween 3. That, it's exactly what it's like, the Freddy version of that scene. Like, and you, you would never it. be able to put that on network television, even now, let alone in 87 here. It's yeah. almost like too much for like most cable. Yeah, the whole, but the whole show was like super goofy, and then Freddy melts, and you see his face like melting off his oh, the bone. It, oh man, it was like, it was. I was like, wow, who's doing these effects for this <laughs> this random show? Because they're better than the movies. Yeah, if you're a Freddy fan and you haven't seen either of these things, you got to get on it. Yeah, thank you, Japan. Number 12. Once again, foolish friends, Freddy Krueger is on your phone. Dial this number now. I've got some tales to tell. Freddy's favorite bedtime stories. <laughs> Dead time stories. All brand new and straight from my boiler room to your home. It's Freddy Krueger on your phone. So dial this number now if you dare. Tell them Freddy sent you. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Children, get your parents' permission before you dial. In the very late 80s, our boy Freddy got his own 900 number. He did. He yeah. Never, I mean, yeah. it's not quite the success story that sounds like because everybody had one back then. Yeah. Fucking Al B. Shore did. Al B. Shore. <laughs> <laughs> Teen Idol, Psychics, Career Advisors, 25 different Santa Clauses. If you were anybody, you had a 900 number. Yes. You have to remember the TV commercials for this thing. When I was a kid, I used to memorize them. They were on constantly. They were always on late at night. And to me, like, they were spookier than any of the, like, Elm Street movie trailers or TV spots. You're right, because 
they had that built-in fright factor because you could see a 900 number commercial like late at night and it may not even have been for something scary but there was something about those commercials in general that were weird and creepy there was always an eerie vibe to them even yeah, if they were about call, something friendly call my phone number call, call now <laughs> i mean but those commercials were just these bleak montages of all like the spookiest moodiest shots from the film yeah. From all the films, I should say. It was just all like the boiler room shots, all of the mm -hmm. dark alley shots. It wasn't gore. It was all atmosphere, but it got to you. Like, I remember being a kid and just being like, oh, fuck, it's this commercial. My yeah. night's over. Yeah. And then you see like all the fire behind Freddy from Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, totally. It, oh. was, it was spooky shit. So I think a year or so ago, somebody uploaded like an hour's worth of the hotline recordings. Oh. And it's basically just Freddy telling you these two minute stories. Yeah. And then he'd just keep telling you different ones until you had like a thousand dollar phone bill. And it was actually his voice, right? It was. I, I called it once as a kid. My sister was babysitting me and it, it just meant I was on my own. Yeah. I definitely don't remember the recordings that I heard recently. Yeah. But I mean, just being on the line with Freddy for one minute, that was enough to just like that... make me sleep the lights on. So you talk to Freddy? No, you don't really talk to him. Basically, like. But I mean, you. For the story purposes, for the story, you I did. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I had drinks with the Dream Warriors and I yeah. spoke to Freddy on the phone. <laughs> but you know how it was like when you did these like kind of vaguely scary things when you were a kid. It wasn't yeah. so much the thing that scared you; it was the idea that you broke the spooky seal, and now yeah. like every ghost in a fifty-mile radius was coming <laughs> to get you. So I just felt like just by virtue of dialing the nine hundred number. That was it. I saw it was like the ring. You turned off the protection grid. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, man. You'd be watching like UPN or whatever, one in the morning, and it'd be like the Honeymooners or some show that you thought was safe to go to sleep to. And then all of a sudden you'd hear him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not this. Oh. And it's just like, oh, man, you gotta get up out of bed, turn a light on, you know, kind of like scratch at the door to make sure someone was awake. Clean up the tinkle. Clean up the tinkle. <laughs> it was a scene. Yeah. But I kind of, you know, like at the same time, I kind of miss being able to feel that way that easily. It is weird, though, because it's almost like trying to prey on young children to call a hotline number. Totally. And the thing is, like, they they, they say, get your parents' permission. But yeah. what parent says yes to a paid phone call with a recording of Freddy Krueger? Of course you're just going to call. <laughs> All right, we've hit everything, Matt. We did. It's been a long show. Very long. Freddy Six deserved it. Six and a half it. hours. Six and a half Freddy hours Krueger. of fucking Freddy Krueger. Longer than the entire franchise of Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Longer than the Never Sleep Again documentary, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> All right. So are we going to do the thing? The yep. thing. The thing. All right. Uh, who's going right. first? Um, since I went first, you can go first. Okay. <laughs> Boy, this is a tough one. You had some really uh, big ones tonight. Yeah. But I think that media retail video has to be mine. Now, you see, I have right here my own special sales incentive plan. <laughs> Get your $5,000 media light box with this glowing Freddy Krueger poster. No, you're yeah. fucking kidding me. They got <laughs> this for buying a goddamn tape. Get the this Dream Warrior standee that Freddy's going to jump through in oh, order to slash with his 
freaking knives. Did you notice finger. that that standee looked a lot like the video cover to Crawl? It's like he's standing in for the guy from Crawl. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think my pick for yours would be Drinking with the Dream Warriors. Drinking with the... Why didn't they call it that? Yeah. That's, yeah, thanks, because that was... I mean, it was an important night for me. This is It's definitely the most fun I ever had at a horror convention. I mean, it's oh, just crazy. Yeah. To me, I always get a kick out of that. Thinking back to when I was a little kid watching that on VHS, like, incessantly, and knowing that, you know, maybe... 20 some odd years later you'd be able to drink with them at a bar and share right. i mean that's what it was yeah. when i was sitting there i was sitting across from fucking the wizard master yeah and i'm you know buying drinks i'm talking with him and he's he's like totally cool guy and i'm thinking to myself my god i i remember being a kid in bed watching the wizard master on fucking shocktober <laughs> like it's, i can't believe i'm sitting here <laughs> there's one thing i have to bring up before we get out of here because it didn't really fit anywhere else uh -huh. is the fact that Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge. In the kitchen, did you notice the chalkboard always says, call Rhonda? Call Rhonda? I didn't notice that. Yeah, every time they're in the kitchen and you see the chalkboard, it says, call Rhonda. Why? <laughs> Maybe if we called Rhonda, we'd find out that she sounds like the Matchbox talking Freddy doll. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could find mine. Yeah, I have mine. You want me to see if it talks? Yeah, I, that'd be a good way yeah. to end the show. Yeah, let me go get it. Hold on. He's going to take like 20 minutes to find this fucking doll. All right. Ugh. I got in my hand right now. The official have... Matchbox Freddy Krueger doll. Going to try it right now. See if it... Perfect dream. <gasps> my God, it still works. Ow. Hold on. Let me do it again. <laughs> he sounds like us when we laugh. <laughs> he, he does sound like us, me at least. Uh, one more time, one more time. <laughs> oh my god! You could definitely tell that uh, that doll is showing its age. It doesn't sound bad for you it, know, thirty. It sounds years better old. than mine, but he does sound a little bit hurried. Like he doesn't really want to be here. <laughs> like us, let's get yeah. the hell out of here. <laughs> this has been the Purple Stuff Podcast. And it's been fun talking about Nightmare on Elm Street with you, Matt. Mm -hmm. I'm Jay from the Sexy Armpit. I'm Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. Let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Purple Purple Stuff Podcast.